This episode of FileMaker Talk is sponsored by FM Pro Host, professional, fast, and reliable FileMaker Pro database hosting since 1998. Available online at FileMakerHosting.com. Welcome to FileMaker Talk. This is Matt Navar. And with Matt Navar is... I'm still Matt Petrowski. Yeah, you still are. And we're, we're Matt, Matt Squared. squared. <laughs> <laughs> We've already talked about being geeks, right? Well, we're proud of it. The geeks shall inherit the earth, right? I think that the other thing was a mistranslation in the Bible. <laughs> in the technological age. It's not really the, the geeks, geeks shall inherit the earth. It's the geeks. So there's no significant <laughs> news today, is there? Uh, there are a few pieces of news information. Well, I guess you could call it significant. FileMaker 10 was released. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Or wait, here's the bigger <laughs> news. It's 2009. Yeah, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. What are we thinking FileMaker is going to be like in 2009? FileMaker's starting it out with a bang. Yeah. I don't know. I see good things. I actually had a, clients, a couple clients had, you know, real significant identity crises, you know? Thinking about, should I be still doing this in FileMaker? Should I switch to something more web-based, whatever? And finally realizing that if you really look at the benefits of FileMaker-based solutions in a cold, hard light of the day, they hold up. That's what the clients are saying, anyway. Price-wise? Or just the whole picture? Development cost, deployment, server, maintenance, control, ease of use, the whole solution experience. And plus the intangibles, right? You know, the enjoyment of using it compared to if you use some tool that could do the job but you hate. Anyway, True. before we get into the FileMaker 10 thing, let's let's get our, um, our stupid it's not FileMaker things out of the way. <laughs> well, there is one news item, one is that it? I've seen, the Smart Pill. Smart they Pill. released their uh, 2.0 version of uh, their plugin. Now, I thought they had released 2.0 before. I remember talking with Micah at the DEF CON a while ago, and I don't know, this was in the fmpro.org news feed of them releasing, and uh, you go to the news release and it lists the items that are new, that it's uh, got in terms of features, being able to load functions, load from URL. I think I had talked about those with Micah at DevCon 2008, but I don't know if uh, they're just saying it's new with new features beyond those, or uh, what's new. Hmm. Who knows? Maybe it was just because I knew those were coming, too. But despite that, 2.0. Cool. Smart pill. It's out. And this week we had Macworld, which saw the Apple keynote, the first one without Steve Jobs, which was interesting. I watched the whole video. I didn't uh, watch it. I uh, followed the Macworld Twitter feed. Yeah, I heard that a lot of people did that. But the video was pretty good. You actually get to see the demos of the new things. I work looks amazing. The uh, the, the faces thing, right? Yeah, faces in and places photo? looks really cool. That's actually iLife, though. That's not iWork. iWork has online documents in the cloud. Of course, you know, Google has that. The new 17-inch MacBook Pro looks pretty amazing. I can't believe that the battery could last eight hours. But then I remember that in the past they advertised a five-hour battery that I only really get three out of. <laughs> but uh, my 13-inch MacBook, I really get about four hours out of the battery. I can... I can watch two movies back-to-back -back on one battery charge. I've got a MacBook, and I can only do one. So you have, a, like, a plastic one before the new metal one? Yes. 
So but I don't throw it around so the plastic hasn't cracked, although I've heard some people, they've got that cracking plastic thing going on. It's not FileMaker. I'm actually really excited because Portland is one of the cities that has Clearwire, WiMAX-based internet, clear.com, which is 6 megabit, actually 6.5 megabit internet for 40 bucks a month. And super simple to set up. I thought it was so great. I've had Quest DSL all these years. Uh, in my neighborhood, I, I don't have Verizon, so you're either in a Quest or Verizon neighborhood in the Northwest. And if you have Verizon, a lot of people I know can get Fios, and you can get 15 megabit internet for like, That's what I've got. For like 70 bucks a month. I've got it. It's sweet. How much do you Although pay? It is, you know, 60 bucks a month. Yeah. I think it's 59, but you can... I think I got the step up. I forget. And, you know, I would happily pay 60 bucks a month instead of 40 to get crazy fast, but that's just not available where I live. Uh, so I, my choices are like Comcast Cable, um, which is not Fios. I think that's just, you know, cable, which is still pretty fast, or this wireless one, which is cool because I can take it around with me anywhere in Portland. Um, although Portland, I think, and one other city are the only ones that are available for clear right now. But I was impressed at the speed. I mean, it was... My DSL was only 1.5 megabit. I guess I'm really far away from the CO, so I wasn't getting good speed. So I'm thrilled at the new deal. So this is a card that you you can either put it in your computer or you can at home put it into a router. Yeah, for they have two different network. plans. They have the home box, which is a larger one, which is a you know the big antenna in, built into the box, and that's what I got. Uh, and then they also have a small mobile USB device uh, that you can just connect to your computer. Those plans are ten dollars a month more for the mobile. And if you're only going to be able to use it in Portland, I didn't really see the point because I really wanted it just for my house. So this is only the Portland. I'm looking at it and they've got a little icon with a map that says downtown Portland. It's only in Portland? Well, I think it's one other city, but you can, you can put in your zip code and I'm sure they're going to be rolling out other cities soon. I know people have been pretty skeptical about WiMAX, but uh, I got to say so far the experience is pretty good. Hmm. Very nice. Really low latency. We'll see how it does on Skype. I'm actually not on it at the moment because I'm at a different location, but the latency for Skype is going to be a pretty big determining factor too. But for basic web use and downloading movies on Hulu and buying movies and songs on the iTunes store. By the way, the other huge news, everything on the iTunes store is going to be DRM-free. That's what I heard. That's pretty gigantic. That is going to be nice. Although... uh one of the things that I'm big into recently, just because of one little app on the iPhone, this isn't my, it's not FileMaker, is this uh, little app called App Sniper hmm. on the iPhone. I know, something of interest to anyone who just, you know, I always feel like, okay, I can go to the top 25 and look at, you know, what's the top 25 in the free, what's the top 25 in the paid. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what's cool that's coming out. And what's cool that comes out, it'll never get into the top 25 unless a lot of people start to use that thing and it gets ranked up. So how do you know what the new stuff is that's coming out? Well, this little app, App Sniper, it con- contacts their server and their server basically you know, sends the data back and you can see 
what the trends are for applications, which ones have been reduced in price. You can also see what has been recently released. We're talking about within the past hour, past day, past two days. Whoa. And it's got a little area where you can say you want to snipe a particular app that you see, and you can specify the price that you want to pay. And when it hits that target price, it then notifies you. Oh, so because apps change price all the time. And yep. so like an app will come out at $6 and then go to 4 and then go to 2 and you go, I want to buy it at 2 <laughs> Right. Yeah, <laughs> when the funny. developer finally realized, oh, I can't get $6 for a farting application. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny that iFart is the number one application on the store, though. What's that say? <laughs> oh, it's dumb. But then there's like 50 others. Which, one did, uh, which ones did you buy? Uh, I didn't. I, App Sniper is the only one I bought. <laughs> That's funny. You didn't buy a farting application? Come on. No. Where's your inner thirteen-year-old? Uh, okay, my it's not FileMaker. That's what we want to get to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was my it's my distraction <laughs> from <laughs> what my it, real it's not FileMaker was. Which is drumroll. Okay, it's the new year. You always want to clean things out, but how do you clean out your computer? Well, I'm on a Mac, so sorry, those of you who are on a Windows. Grand Perspective. That's my It's Not FileMaker. Mm-hmm. Now, what this is, is it's a, um, I think, I don't know if it's Java behind the scenes or not. I'm suspicious that it is because there are there is a Java app that does something similar, and it, this may just be a Cocoa app wrapped around the Java aspect, but basically what it does is it allows you to scan any folder that you want to scan, and then it shows a graphical representation of all of the files of that directory that you scan. So you could scan the whole, you know, root of your whole system and find out where everything is. Yeah, and now, relative the, by size. So large files take up a larger percentage of the graphic. Correct. Everything is represented by a little box. Mm-hmm. So it basically looks like this giant uh, pixelated mosaic with large, large boxes for large, large files and tiny little small files or boxes for small files. What's cool is you can find out where the largest files are, but it has these multiple color schemes. There's a little button that you can click that says more. And if you don't click that, you don't get into some of the nice, cool features, which is a limited set. But one of the features is you can choose to color all of the different boxes according to a certain scheme. And by default, it says color them by folder, meaning they're containing folder. But the option at the bottom of that list is color by the top folder. So what that does is it gives you insight into what are your heaviest top or containing folders of all of your different uh, subfolders, Hmm. all the different things in that. And so it changes the way that it colors things, and you get a really great perspective of... Even if the file itself is not a large file, say, for example, I didn't know, but if you install all of the jam packs for GarageBand, that will consume half of your hard drive. Yeah, they're like five gigs each. Correct. And some of them but are bigger than two But they're all small DVDs. individual files. Right, yeah. They're, but you uh, would never yeah. see how much of that is taking up your hard drive unless mm-hmm. you go to this top folder option. So. so I have a funny story about this application. Let me hear it. I ran it on my entire hard drive, and it was on the machine that I was doing uh, some of my DevCon prep stuff for. And uh, uh, when I ran it, there was one gigantic file that was two-thirds of my entire hard drive. And I go, what is that? And it was my sample FileMaker database with a billion records. 
a 150 gigabyte file, <laughs> which okay, I never you... think about, right? I don't go looking at the thing every day. I just, you know, built the thing. You told me about this. This it, is it, that file that you like let it run for like weeks on end, just yeah. creating new records with like UUID just to see how many you could create before you get a dupe. Yeah, I wanted to do some tests. So I had a few <laughs> specific experiments I was running on it. Here's one, one, one significant experiment that I thought was interesting. I created a oh. field that had uh, that used the entire random number in FileMaker, which was like a 16-digit random number. And I just let it create records. And I found that for every million records, there was about 3,000 sets of dupes or something like that. I can't remember the number, but there was significant duplicates. And then I go, hmm, well, I wonder if I make a single field that uses the current timestamp and the random number together. And I let that run and that found that actually also made it. So in other words, the only way it would have been able to make a dupe is if it used the exact same random number twice in the same second. And because it can create new, you know, many, I don't know how many, like, I don't know, 30 or 50 records a second or something like that. Uh, there was actually a pair of dupes in the same second. It, the same random number came up twice in a one, in a one million record set. Jeez. So, so, what are you using for? Are you using Ray's uh, unique ID? If you use Ray's unique generator? ID, it's totally impossible to have a dupe. And is that the one you use if you need yeah. to use? I guess we should clarify for anybody who's listening what the difference is between a serial number and a UUID. Right. Well, actually, and Ray's has a serial number in it. So, a serial number is just a number we're, you know, getting into some good, I guess this is good material here, right? Plain old number that just increments by one every time. Right, standard and then, key. Right, and then you could use a random number, which FileMaker just is a random number that's 16 decimals between 0 and 1. But computers don't, you know, well, they might do perfectly random numbers, but it's still possible that the same number, as I proved, could come up multiple times. So a random number is not a good key field. The cool thing, the idea behind using a randomized number as a key is if you have two computers with different data sets that you want to be able to merge the data sets... You don't have to plan in advance what range of unique IDs they're each going to use if you use a serial number. Right. But you can't use random numbers for that because it'll cause problems. So, but if you use a UID like Ray's, that uses the that actually compresses into a fairly small readable number using text and numbers. Um, it's base thirty six. It's all the letters of the alphabet plus uh, the numbers zero through nine. So, so hold on here. So you're saying I shouldn't be using the customer last name and their social security number anymore? Oh, man, you're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to John Sindelar the other day, and he was t he was telling me some stories about people using uh, badge numbers, uh, oh, yeah. license plate numbers uh -huh. <laughs> for unique keys sure. and all kinds of stuff. Oh, last you. name is the perfect one, though, because no one ever changes their last name. It's oh, yes, and static. nobody has the last name of Smith either. Right, exactly. <laughs> Um, but a, a UUID, like a raised base 36 one, takes into account the behind-the-scenes FileMaker ID for the table, which is a serial number, so that even if you create a million records per second and it uses a randomized number that it compresses down into this text, so it takes a 16 digit and compresses it to, like, I don't know, 5 or something. So in other words, it, would be, it wouldn't be a duplicate. It would be not possible to make a duplicate at all, no matter how many records you created from any one given station. Across multiple files. And, right, and it also uses the uh, date and time, so the exact second that the record was created, 
and the I don't know if it's the IP address or the MAC address or something like that for the specific computer that's doing the work. And all of that can be parsed out. Right. And yeah, so you can compress. So the whole thing is compressed into a single custom function that creates the ID. And then you can also use a set of other custom functions to read data back out of it. And all this is available at nightwing.com.au slash FileMaker. I think that's it. I know if you hit the page and you see some uh, face carvings out of some wood, which I hear Ray is uh, this magnificent carver. Right. It's a sub-page off right. his site. <laughs> yeah, that's just nightwing.com.au. But if you go to nightwing.com.au slash FileMaker, then you get to the, the FileMaker stuff, which, which has the samples. Very cool. Yep. So on to the... Cool stuff. Onto the cool stuff. It's the FileMaker cool, right? But yeah, it's fi- also the main topic. FileMaker cool, main topic, and the news, all in one. You don't want to talk about FileMaker 10, do you? Nope, we're done. See you no next week. Wait, Just because it's fresh and brand new and it's got some cool stuff, although are we going to play nice? We're going to play nice. Well, no, you can say whatever you want. Actually, uh, we'll talk about the things that are awesome about it and the things that aren't. First of all, we should talk about some of the sites where you can read more about it. Obviously, FileMaker.com. Uh, Jeff Coffey made a pretty amazing post at sixfriedrice.com. I would recommend you read. In fact, I left a comment on uh, Jeff's article there. Jeff always puts out like really good, uh, thorough information, or at least he has since he's uh, been writing his missing manual, I think, for O'Reilly, or for Pogue Press, which is for O'Reilly. Um he always puts out good stuff. I made a comment on his site. I said, hey, Jeff, thanks. You've, uh, you always do a great job of preventing me from having to write an article for the magazine site about all the new features because he just does such a good, thorough job. So props, Jeff. Very cool. Yep, way cool. So let's see. What are the obvious new things in 10? And we'll get to some of the non-obvious ones, which I think are pretty sweet, too. The obvious ones are the total interface overhaul. So the... Status area, which used to be on the left, and it looked pretty much the same since I started using FileMaker 22 years ago, uh, now is totally redone and now on the top. Now, what is it? It's the status area? Bar, status area. Yeah, what do you, what do you call you it? Go. It's called the status bar now. It's called the status bar, not the status area. Can't call the status, it the status area. Status area is like down at the bottom of a web page usually, right? Well, on a Different piece of software like Safari, sure. So what do you call the little flipbook thing? Does that have a special name? The little flipbook thing? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Oh, well, speaking of naming things, where's ScriptMaker? Did they rename it? It's ScriptMaker. I I actually, I was talking uh, again to John Sandlar, and somebody needs to grab across the documentation within 10 to see if they can find a reference to ScriptMaker because ScriptMaker listed as a sub-menu under scripts is not there anymore. It's just scripts. It's just scripts. I don't think I even noticed that. They also consolidated the Manage menu. So they used to have, like in the Layout menu, used to have a layout set layout order, and now that's gone. So now they have Manage Layouts. And here's one of the subtle features. In the Manage Layouts, now you can double-click on each layout and get to the properties of the layout, like the printing dimensions and how much padding there was, whether it's possible to view that layout as a list, form, or um, table. Well, you could get to the layout options within the layout list before. You're saying you're, they just gave you more access you, to more If you double-clicked on them, you could get right to them before, or you had to go to the individual layouts and do it. 
No, you could do that. You had in, to do it one layout at a time. No, in nine you can uh, double click when you're looking at the list of layouts. You're talking about where you have the checkbox and you can check them on or off to be visible. Yes. Yes, you can double click. Well, on no, those not in nine. not just visible, but actually say you know you can change it so you can do only a certain type of layout. Yeah, it would basically open the layout properties dialog oh, box for that. That's layout. cool. So they added that feature, and I guess I wasn't using it like I should have been. Yep. But anyway, I guess the the thing that it caused me to discover that was that there is no more uh, that command is gone from that menu. Now it's manage layouts. Ah, uh, you know what? Whatever we say here, I have to be honest. The only time that I've looked at ten so far was with through the uh, tail end of the ETS program. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's been pretty stable in the ETS for a while. Yeah, they. they uh, I think they they. Delayed their release a little bit. I think it was ready a couple of months ago, so that they could come out with a multiple lingual uh, languages at the same time, and also server and pro at the same time. And here's a big feature for server: server advanced now supports 999 users. Whoa! Not, not I just didn't 250. Know that. It's the same code. They just basically change, take the restriction off. I think they just realized that. Oh yeah, a well-architected database running in FileMaker nine could have supported a lot more than 250 users, so they just raised the limit. Well, that's a very nice thing. Yeah, it is. And it's also interesting that the that feature is only available in advanced. If you just have regular Pro, you still have 250. Well, if there's anybody that's running. Over 250 concurrent users at the same time. Give us a holla. I want to hear because I don't know that there's that many where you're going to actually even come close to half of 999. Yeah. But well, you know, there's lots maybe of other systems is. that certainly do that. Uh, I think I was talking to Molly Connolly. She was, I think she had some clients who were right at that limit and didn't really have any performance issues, which sort of pointed... At that, you know, if we go to 400 or 500, it might be just fine. Hmm. I mean, Very think about cool. think about the available server hardware these days. You oh know, yeah, the hardware is going to take over where the software is going to fail yeah, in a lot of situations. Is, yeah, performance is just a function of hardware to a large degree. If you've got multiple 10 gigabit Ethernet cards and uh, 32 cores, <laughs> and you know, ridiculous fast RAID array running on solid state drives or something. So what else is new? You mentioned script triggers, right? Oh, Shall script, we? oh yeah, whatever, script triggers. Oh, script triggers. <laughs> Shall we walk through those? I mean, is, is, is triggering scripts via calculations dead? Uh, not entirely. No, it's not. Not for me, it's not. No, there's still a few things that are, that are going to be needed. But this replaces 95% or more of the stuff that I've been triggering in other ways. It does. This is, a, this is a long time coming to this feature, but it's a really from the ground up. This is a totally transformative feature that is going to have gigantic long-term impact on the life of a FileMaker developer. There, I said it. Well, what a, I, I, uh, I agree with you to an extent. <laughs> I don't know about lifelong impact. I mean, it's not something for me, something that's going to dictate because you can, if you knew about them, the techniques, trigger scripts in versions prior to 10. I mean, you could do the things that you can do with native script triggers if those were what you wanted and you trusted using, you know, one Plugin? of the freely available plugins. Yeah, like ZipScript or the FileMaker example or Activator. Right. Or, yeah. So, I mean, from my perspective, it's it's big, but it's not like so major. But well, here's the question. Yeah, but there Does are it... some things that you can do that you couldn't do with a plugin. 
True. I mean, the the layout stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, no, you could do the layout stuff uh, when you hit a new layout. Well, there's gonna, there's definitely going to be a, a more things that you can do. I yeah. mean, it's going to be interesting, to say the least, to, to go through all these features. And now we enter this phase of... You know what comes out of the woodwork. This is when this is like it, I love every time that FileMaker comes out with a new feature. It's the race to see who can get out the the coolest techniques based on the latest uh, enhancements. Exactly. Of there will be all these things that we couldn't predict that we'll be looking at six months from now. You know. Oh, and it'll go on for like a full year, mm-hmm. where you know a year from now somebody will come out with something that just n- wasn't thought of by anybody in the beginning. And you're just like, oh, that's so awesome. Right, so you get record load. So when you go into a record and load it, you can do something uh, coming record. into, which is cool. So you can, when you come into a record, you could say, "Oh, load up the certain tab panel." That's going to be the main thing I'm going to use it for right out of the gate, is because now you can have invisible tabs, and you can use this method to load the correct tab for where you are. It's like, oh, this record is locked. Go to the lock tab panel, so all the fields show up as uneditable. And then if the user just does you know uses the filemaker keyboard shortcut to go to the next record then the script trigger runs again and says oh well this record is unlocked let me show you the tab panel with the unlocked fields well, so to the user this it's, it's a really beautiful um, experience and I, I was going to say talking about uh on you know key events on keyboard events that's the one that i'm the most interested in in the the combination with the two functions of the char and the code function those are mm-hmm. two of a few functions that they added uh, just a very limited number of set the only other functions they added were um those that support the uh script triggering features such as the trigger modifier keys and the trigger keystroke uh, keystroke functions mm-hmm. Um, those are the cool things. The on layout keystroke and the on object keystroke. Those are awesome because basically it's sort of like you can treat your FileMaker database now like uh, like the Photoshop palette. You just hit P to go to the paintbrush. You hit G to go to gradient. You can do those similar things on your layouts within a FileMaker file. So, so that if the user is not clicked into a field and they click a single key that's not a command key or whatever, it'll actually do a script? Oh, that I don't know. I think you, you Isn't may, that what you you're saying? Isn't that what modifier. Photoshop does? Because I know it works in a field. So, for example, if you've got a field and you start, t- that's a search field, and you start typing some letters, it can actually run a query and then show you some results like in a uh, field for matches. It could, you know, do certain things based on how many characters you've typed in, based on what things you're typing in. Right. But on a layout, I don't know if you can do that without a modifier key. I mean, I know you can with a modifier key, but I don't know if it'll support. Like, if you don't have, if you haven't well, entered the the record, you're not in a field. I don't know if just hitting just a single key like Photoshop palette will work. Yeah, I don't know either. But I, but actually, with a modifier key, that could have already been done all this time with custom menus. True, because you could but assign those. That's a hassle. Eh, hassle and a half. Not too bad. But, let, but let's not talk about that because we're just going to disagree and yell at each other again. <laughs> so what else we've got on record commit on record revert as an action on layout load on record load on mode enter and on mode exit those are all things that apply to the layouts and on layout objects in particular you have when you enter that object when there is a keystroke hit when you're in that object when the object itself is modified like if the field contents are changed 
when that particular object is saved with on object save and then also when you exit that particular object. Right. Now, this whole the most you know common sense thing is going to be this is mostly going to be used with fields, but it's named on object because this also applies to like web viewers, tab panels, anything that falls within the realm of the tab order that you can tab to. Can you tab to a web viewer? Um you I know, don't think you can. Off the top of my head, browse. I don't know. And speaking of tab order, one of the new features that's a little one is you can edit a tab order. You can insert something in between two existing tabs. So if you've got a, a layout with hundreds of fields on it, like a big, complex, uh, nested tab pane, like I have many of those, then and you have a new field that you just changed the order of on, on one specific portion of it, now you can say, oh, okay, well, I want to insert that one field in the middle of that, these two. Which is before you nice. had to like redo the whole thing, so that's a pretty huge uh, feature. Time saver. Yes, big time. Sub so the other things we've got are uh, live sub summaries. Mm -hmm. That's basically sub summary mode working outside of preview mode. It just now works in browse mode. Yep. Very so cool. That's awesome. Uh, so I think you have to sort before that works the first time. Persistent sort is really cool. So if you sort a record, sort a set of of uh, records, and then you sort it, say, by last name, and then you go into the last name field and, and do something which is impossible, which is changing someone's last name. <laughs> we were referenced that earlier, remember? That's why it's supposed yeah, to be funny. Yeah. So I'm there. I'm with you. I know. <laughs> and you change the first letter of the last name to some other letter, then the record will actually jump immediately after you commit to the place in the alphabet where it's supposed to be, which might have even been in a sub-summarized part, summarized by the first letter of the last name, which is pretty cool. Very awesome. Yeah, Jeff has a little uh, video on his extensive article where he just shows very quickly what happens when you sort and how everything jumps, and yeah. when you change it, it jumps. It could be a little nice. disconcerting, but, you know, I think it's good. Email is a cool one for me. Yes, email without having to use your email client. So you can type in your SMTP information uh, right in the dialog box that sends emails from FileMaker. And now it saves that, right? Yes, it's stored think. in that script step. Oh, okay, there you go. And then they can also be sent through the server as a server-side script. So you can have your you can have a, a timed script running on FileMaker server every night at midnight, send out emails to a thousand people or whatever, and it would use that, which is cool. Now that is a nice nice combination of features. And speaking of server-side features, one of the other server-side features is importing and exporting of of uh, records. Oh, there you go. Now, but are they supporting file manipulation, do you know? Uh, the ability to move files around? I don't know. Those have always been plug-in-based things before. Yeah, I know I could do it with SmartPill or uh, ScriptMaster, but I... Right, or Troy File. Oh, and they still would be. Silly me, sorry. Well, no, not really. <laughs> I mean, because those, those are not... You can't do plug-in calls on most plugins from the server side, because the server doesn't load client-type plugins, does it? The plugins, they I think if they're specified that they can work with the server, they will. They'll I know that, that SmartPill, you can do it because I've done it. Okay. Well, I guess the tricky part you have to do there is you have to make sure that the world of files as the server sees it is similar to the world of files as you, the client, see it. 
Cause... It just sees it according to the account that the server is using. So the account that isn't right. using like the admin account, it's using a, a different account, I right. think. Yeah, I you think just it's have like to FM know where server. those files are going. Right, yeah. Because the server could actually run not logged in as a user. But it's but the server application still has rights of a specific user, which is going to have rights to certain directories on certain, you know, hard disks. I would I would test that and be careful about it. But I've used it. Have you? There I've you done go. it. There you yep. go. All right, and uh, the other things that are new because we're almost getting to the end of uh, the short list. Outside of the things that we've heard that are either you know things that are controversial, like the bar they've got. Uh, what I think the big one is uh, the set field by name, the whole indirection thing. Yes, exactly. That yeah. is going to be that. That for me is the sleeper function, the sleeper feature, because mm-hmm. that's going to be cool. One of the things that I was doing recently in uh, my little invoicer solution was when you use a data separation model, and you've got uh, the best example that I have is. Um, I'm using a data separation in this invoicer solution. My data file or my interface file is looking at the data file. The data file has the user, the customer name, let's say the people first name and last name in one table, but then all attributes in a second table. So the all address basically categorized according to a uh, tagged value, line 1 of the address, line 2 of the address you know, city, state, zip. Mm-hmm. So you've got attributes in one table, you've got the customer in another table. The problem is when you use this separation model is that you can't access all of that data. It's You have to create all of the relationships, you know. You have to create the uh, extra table occurrences, the relationships between them in order to extract it in a consolidated fashion. My solution to that was to simply create an XML object as a calculated value Create the relationships in yeah, the data file. That's real simple. <laughs> and then simply reference that XML object. And it's universally available because you just have to access that one table occurrence. Right. But here's what's cool with being able to use this new set field by name or indirection. You would be able to create a layout based off of the table occurrence in the data file since it can see all of the other related table occurrences, you would be able to, in essence, create a dynamically created XML object by using this uh, field indirection, using set field. It would be a script that would call it, but you could look at all of the fields that are on that layout, then reference all of those fields, and then wrap the XML structure around those. Yep. So basically throwing a new field on the layout would allow you to dynamically adjust this XML object, which is totally cool. And that would be like a JavaScript web viewer kind of a thing? I mean, it would have to <laughs> exist in a web viewer, wouldn't it? Right? Okay. So, I mean, can, is, there's no other way to show that field on the layout using this method other than a web viewer, is that, or am I wrong? Oh, oh, I know. I'm getting just ragged about this stuff, aren't no, no, I? No, no, I'm not ragging you. I'm just trying to get clear on what you're talking about. Oh, um, well, no, the purpose of the, yeah, the purpose of, in essence, I will be using that XML object for the purpose of dissecting it using SmartPill in order to render all of the information about the person, including their name, their address, and everything else, mm-hmm. in a web viewer. But what this, uh, I, because it's a whole XML object, I can do whatever I want. Right. I'm going to, going to be able to give a per-user preference 
of one, how they want to view the data in terms of what order they want the fields. Does the person want city to come before state or mm -hmm. state after? And this is each user can set their own preference. And then because I'm using a web viewer, I can use CSS and you can actually control the way that the, the output looks yep. on a per user basis. So it's really, really awesome. I love it. Yep. That is the wave of the future. But perhaps <sighs> not the wave of the present. <laughs> I will convert. I will convert. <laughs> so that's all I know about that's uh, new in FileMaker 10. Let's see. Oh, yeah, we, the, the table view, um, I don't know if we already said it. You can. There's a customizable table view that allows you to not have a direct link between the fields on the layout and what actually shows up in table view. So if you are in list view, you have one set of fields on the layout. But if you change over to table view, you can actually vary the fields that appear. You can have additional fields appear or fields disappear because the two things are separate, which is really cool. And it stores it with that layout so that when any user switches to table view on that layout, all of a sudden three additional fields appear. Advanced recover options are new. File maintenance... So you can yeah, recover a file and not rebuild the indexes, which is kind of the f one way that I would certainly use it if I... Well, first of all, I almost never recover, because if a file crashes, go to the backup. <laughs> it's generally faster than trying to recover, but... And then, you know, backup every hour, every half hour, or something like that. Well, on the toolbar, they've got that little... Uh, the only other thing I know is that little pie graph. Mm -hmm. It's a, a little representation of how many records the current found set has relative to the whole found count of all the records in the database. And you can click on it and it inverts, right? It like does a uh, find omitted. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, that's I hadn't tried that, but that makes sense because you can always do the show omitted records, which is kind of a unique little FileMaker thing. I've never seen that in any other system. Well, one thing I do like is on the toolbar now, because it's customizable, you can, you know, for your development machine, just make that, you know, basically get off the new record, get off the delete record, things that you know how to do with command keys. Right. And you can put on, you know, script debugger, data viewer, and everything that's developer-specific. Now, I was really hoping that the customized um, icons would be stored with the file, but they appear to be stored with your preferences on your computer. Is that what well, you that thought well, as well? that makes sense, because most of the time a toolbar is specific to the preferences on that machine. No, I want to be able to say, I want these things on the toolbar and then have that be every user who uses that application so that file by file the tools can be vary. But I don't know if that exists or not. I haven't found that out. I think I, if they're following like standard conventions, you know, OS stuff, then it would be based on the preferences stored on the local on machine. On the user, yeah. And I think they are. And yeah. So but that, yeah, but that limits the cool. ability of uh, the, some of the deployment options. Although I guess those controls, like for example, if there's a delete record command, if you have custom menus uh, such that that feature doesn't exist for the user, then the icon wouldn't appear either. So I guess. Something, something to test. It certainly wouldn't work if they clicked it. Because I know that if they chose the menu command... I know that the way that custom menus are architected are that any way that you could perform a certain function, whether by the keyboard command or clicking the button, custom menus controlled both of those things at the same time. Mm -hmm. I was talking to, uh, I seem to be talking to John Sindler a lot. I guess that uh, has to do with the secret project I'm working on, but that's another topic. But <laughs> I had to drop that. You know that, right? Yeah. 
Well, of course, I knew all about the secret project. It's not a secret That's to true. me. That's <laughs> true. That is true. I have my um, own secret project going with John Sindelar, so there. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody needs to have a secret project with John because he's the secret master. Dude, he's the he's the. What are those? The I was almost going to call him the Ginsu Master. Ginsu, <laughs> you know, like as opposed to Sensei, I was going to call him the Ginsu Master. Oh man, it's a really good thing he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> he can cut those aluminum cans like a pro. <laughs> oh That's so funny. Oh uh, well. Anyway, talking with him, uh, he mentioned a bug. Check this out. Not very cool. There is a bug with custom menus. Okay, so there's a new custom menu. In fact, I don't even know that we mentioned this one. There's a new um, menu option for saving uh, your finds, right? Yes, yeah, save, saved found sets. And it shows you your recent. Well, that's added to the menus, so it's possible to have that in custom menus. But here's the kicker. If the file was created with a version prior to 10, mm-hmm. that, will, that menu option in uh, custom menus will be grayed out and will not be available. Hmm. It is not available. So the only time that you're going to have access to new menus that were added in FileMaker 10, such as a search finds, a save search finds, it may mm-hmm. be the only one. I don't know. But it won't be available in any file created prior to 10. Well, while we're talking about saved found sets... I'm kind of thinking that that's not going to be a particularly useful developer type feature for like a vertical market thing. Oh, that well, seems true. to be you're... more of a, an informal feature for users. It is. I mean, and it, it's a minor thing. If you're fully scripting and controlling the whole environment, mm-hmm. then yeah, it's a minor thing. I mean, you may be able to take advantage of it from the developer side because you can have those sets named and probably recall them with with script steps. But I think they're actually saved with the file. So if user A on a hosted system goes and builds a saved found set to say, you know, all the all the customers who are in uh, Alaska, Alabama, and Arkansas, whatever. And then a user B can actually see that found set and run it, or see that found, you know, saved find, and re- re-execute that uh, query on the database, right? That I don't know. I, don't, I haven't looked into whether that persists or not, but it'd be cool if it does. Yeah. It would be, but that's also scary because then you might have users say, uh, a, creating know, some hundreds. boss going and saying, <laughs> "Employees, I'm about to terminate," <laughs> and then names that's the true. set, thinking that it's a you know their private little thing, and then all of a sudden, five people storm into the guy's office saying, <laughs> "What? You're firing me? Me?" <laughs> so what else we got? Are there any other new sites and places that you think people should be reading about? Ten. I think Jeff's the man. He's yeah. the only one that I've uh, seen uh, a whole lot of stuff about. I mean, there's there's definitely going to be a lot of things popping up. In fact, I have a uh, a Google News feed for anybody who wants to follow this uh, tactic. You can go to Google, and then you can put in a search for something, and you can either save it as an alert when you're logged in as your uh, your Google account, or you can uh, get an RSS within Google's News based on a search phrase. So, for example, I put the search phrase of uh, FileMaker 10 as a search phrase within Google, and then go to the news area. It'll give you a listing of news, but basically you can save that as an RSS feed. So anything, it's better as a Google alert because it'll send you an email, and within the email you actually get all of the different direct references to anywhere where that search phrase has recently showed up within the uh, Google search index. 
So it's a great way to keep up on all the things that people are going to be putting out with regards to FileMaker 10. That's how I'm keeping up, but I'm sure there are going to be all kinds of sites that are, uh, yep. you know, the popular sites. One of them is also going to be the FileMaker Talk Facebook group that is now live and has, I don't know, 80 users or so, 80 members. Nice. I joined that, by the way. Yeah, you're the co-administrator, actually. Hey, <laughs> I'm moving up in the world. <laughs> So, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think what we'll do is every time we post an episode, we'll have a little discussion forum for it there. That might be the only place we do that sort of a thing, where we can allow you know people to feedback and discuss specific things. But There's all kinds of stuff, actually. I should. Uh, uh, there's a Drupal module that I should put on the FileMaker Talk uh, website that yeah. allows you to use the uh, new uh, Google Friends feature, where it's basically Google's entry into the social networking market. Cool. And just put on some JavaScript and ready to go. Let's see. CNET calls FileMaker Pro 10 a must-have. Got best of show honors at Macworld Expo for FileMaker 10. That's pretty good. Okay, really good. <laughs> Definitely something to uh, look forward to all the stuff coming out. Yep. There's always the usual press that comes out with a new version. Yep. So, yeah, this is going to be pretty cool. Did we leave out any other features? I'm sure Not we that left I some know out. of. Anything that we left out, it was totally intentional because we wanted to leave something to talk about next time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll have plenty to talk about. Somebody will be coming out with a new technique each week and we'll be able to reference that. Shoot, we could just start a new segment if we wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> cool, I think that wraps it up. Well, let's just leave people with information about what they should do. If you want to access the links that we have uh, talked about in this episode, this is episode number, this is going to be 12, right? I'm not sure. Well, I think we just did 11, so hopefully it's 12. It's 08012 at FileMaker Talk. So it would be FileMakerTalk.com slash 08012 in order to access those links. And, of course, what should they do on iTunes? They should. Usually what I do is I just go to iTunes and search for FileMaker. And, and then when they find us, what should they do? They should leave a review. Leave a review! Please. Come on, folks. We so, want to... Uh, that's what you were fishing for, huh? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Me fishing? Never. <laughs> of course, you know, everybody who is listening already found us somewhere, so <laughs> no point in telling them how to find us again. But we want them to tell us that they love us, yeah, that they like our podcast. And if you hate us, just send us an email yeah. to, to matt at filemakertalk.com. Or we haven't even gotten one person. One person has not left an audio message. I'm so sad. Aw. And that but can what? be done by sending a message to FileMaker Talk on Skype. On Skype. Please, somebody, just ask us a question. Even if you if you have a question about anything related to FileMaker, ask a question and then we'll answer it if hey, it's a good one. Hey FileMaker guys. <laughs> <laughs> Too fun. All right, well thanks everyone. Thank you very much and we'll uh be FileMaker talking to you next time.
FileMaker Pro is the most widely used desktop database available today. If you're just getting started, or if you're an old hand, we've got something for you. We have a podcast that we call FM Success Tips, and we have a lot of fun talking about developing advanced IT solutions in FileMaker Pro. Such as... The evaluate function. The separation model. Get functions. Navigation models. Maintenance agreements. Runtime. How to write a proper dialog box. Importing. Cross-platform differences. Relationship graph. How to do scripting. Prototyping. ESS. FM server. Developing a runtime. The data viewer. Instant web publishing. Conditional formatting. Wildcards. Using ODBC. Naming considerations. Parsing text. Our show's available weekly for free from iTunes. Just search on FM Success Tips. Download and listen today. 